a lot of entrepreneurs are ego-driven. Ego-driven just means that you're attached to the outcome. But essentially, a judgment, which is what triggers the ego, is a judgment about yourself or a judgment about somebody else. When you render an opinion about yourself or somebody else is when you know you're coming from ego. So if you can control that in business, you can go a lot farther. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Heart Inspired, the show dedicated to highlighting individuals in their pursuit of authentic leadership. We peel back the layers to uncover the roadblocks we all face, explore the actions we can take, and how to persevere towards the best version of ourselves. It is my hope that you'll be inspired by their story and gain some insights to help you in your own journey. We live in a time when five generations work side by side, each with different experiences and ways of communicating. Whether it's within corporate America, sports, or the arts, all age groups are looking for authentic, inspiring leaders. We need leaders to model compassion, empathy, and patience in the workplace. In this series, I sat down with amazing leaders who shared their insight on what has worked for them and what is needed today. Join us to discover how necessary, effective communication and leadership skills help all generations succeed. Ken Burke, founder and CEO of the Entrepreneur Now Network. He is a speaker, serial entrepreneur, mentor, and author. Ken founded Market Live, a market-leading enterprise class e-commerce software platform used by major merchants generating $2 billion in online sales through the platform. In 2016, he sold it to Vista Equity Partners. Ken has taught well over 10,000 entrepreneurs how to successfully start and grow their companies. After receiving his MBA from Southern California, Ken was awarded Entrepreneur of the Year. Today, we will hear about Ken's latest book called Prosper, Five Steps to Thriving in Business and in Life. Please welcome my guest, Ken Burke. Hi, Ken. How are you? I am doing great, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I'm so happy to have you on the show. You know, you have energy that is contagious, and (laughs) I'm looking forward to hearing more about your story and talk about your book, Leadership in in These Times, when, you know, as an entrepreneur myself, uh, one of the things that I, what it was comforting to know is that you also go through, even though you've been a seasoned entrepreneur, the pain, the headache, and all the other stuff that we go through. So that was kind of a company, you know, we have company in that space. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is so good. I mean, it's the ups and downs and the roller coasters. Uh, and you're just learning more and more every day. I'm a practicing entrepreneur. So I'm, you know, I'm running a couple of businesses right now. And I'm still faced with my challenges and uh, things that happen. And, and that's how we learn. So it's great. So let's start with your journey. The first thing I want to ask you is, at what time did you know, instead of being an employee, being an entrepreneur was for you? You know, it's interesting because I just had a discussion yesterday with an entrepreneur that I work with. And, you know, we were talking about salary and I I said to him, I'm like, you know, there's a big difference between being an employee and being an entrepreneur and you need to think like an entrepreneur. So, you know, he might be worth, you know, 300,000 in the uh, San Francisco market. But, you know, as an entrepreneur, you might make 150 first year starting salary because that's what the investors are not going to be too take too kindly to a very expensive CEO founder you know, that's just one little itty bitty lesson of being an entrepreneur. You might be coming off, you might be in your 40s or 50s, and you might be coming off of your career. And in fact, that's where I see a lot of entrepreneurs uh, right now. The the budding new entrepreneurs, certainly they're the younger, 
20 somethingers, but the 40 and 50 year olds that are saying, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. The thing you're going to have to think about is, is, you know, you are going to have to set aside temporarily that big salary that you might already have and think like an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs do not think like employees. So you struck a chord by saying that because I literally just had this conversation yesterday. And I think it's, it's important because you're playing long ball. You're playing the, the long game, not the short game. So yeah. thank goodness we have employees and people that want to be employees. But that is, you know, you're getting a paycheck every two weeks or four weeks. Very different from saying, I'm going to build a business for 10 years. And hopefully after that 10 or 15 or 20 years cash out, it took me 21 years to build up my last company market live and sell it. Now we had a very good exit, but that's 21 years that you have no idea if it's going to work (laughs) or not. That's how an entrepreneur thinks versus where's my weekly or monthly paycheck. Yeah. And so for you, were you an entrepreneur in your heart at a very young age? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I used to, you know, back when kids could actually have paper routes, you know, I had four of them. And you run a little itty bitty business as a as a newspaper boy back when I was 12, 13, 14, 15. And I think my dad also inspired me. Uh, he, he wanted to buy a hardware store and leave his corporate job. He never did, unfortunately, but it always stuck with me at age 10. I want that hardware store because we were very much into woodworking and you know, all the things that were kind of hardware and fix it related. I, I regret that, you know, he didn't buy it. I think he regretted he didn't buy it as well, didn't take the leap. And I kind of said at that point, I never want to work for anybody else. Uh, and I want to, I want to be my own person. And I've been starting businesses, you know, uh, since college, right? Um, wow. Yeah. Did you have vision boards or what did you imagine what it would look like for yourself? At a very yeah, I don't know that uh, I had vision boards at the time. I think in my 20s, I did do vision yeah. boards. They were kind of a new thing back then because yeah. I'm in my 50s now. So, <laughs> you know, that was, a, that was a cool new thing to do. And But I've always been very goal-oriented and growth-oriented. And that's actually why I wrote the book, because I have a, a, a strong belief after all the research and book reading and lectures that I've gone to, that at the center of everything is growth. So. Yeah. I'm kind of addicted to growth and, and and it doesn't always happen. And it's very frustrating sometimes. And we'll talk about that. But, uh, you know, growth doesn't always, well, you're growing inside. I say growth, I meant business growth doesn't always yeah. happen. But that's actually when your personal development happens the most is when the trying times are challenging. Give me an example. I'm going to throw right out there. I got replaced as CEO of my company. I mean, I had built a uh, a fairly decent sized company and and uh, brought VCs in. And after about, you know, them being there for uh, two or three years, they like, Ken, you're doing a great job, but we're going to, we want to bring somebody in that's seen the movie, quote unquote. That's what they said, you know, and Wait, this was the biggest the movie. Seen the movie. Somebody that's done it before. You're too young. And we want to bring somebody that's gone international and done strategic partnerships at a, at a big level. We're going to take your company to a billion dollars. We're going to hire the best CEO in the world. You're still going to be chairman. We love you to death, but we're going to replace you, even though I had been doing a really good job. Now, again, I've been playing with the big boys. Big boys are Sequoia Capital and others who typically do this. Didn't know that little secret when I took their money, but uh, I kind of did. I was a little, I was very trepidatious to take their money. But long story short is that that was the best learning experience I could have had being replaced as CEO. I needed to be replaced, not because I I was doing great for the business. But I wasn't doing great for me. I was so attached to the business. Every up and every down, I felt personally. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs that are practicing entrepreneurs that are doing it today can feel the same thing. When you get a customer, a new customer, or you delight a customer, you're thrilled and you're having a great day. When you lose a customer or something goes wrong in your product or you have a challenge or somebody slaps a lawsuit on you or whatever it might be, 
you're now all of a sudden, you know, you're wrecked for the day, the week, or the month, or even the year, possibly. So you go on this emotional roller coaster. And what this taught me was detachment, detachment from outcome, detachment from the actual business. So my life after being replaced, it was difficult. I had a lot of learnings to do. I had to learn how to detach and how to deal with that emotionally. But then I actually came back in as a much healthier CEO uh, about four years later and ran the company to a successful sale. And we had, it was the best two years of my life. So I had learned leadership. It literally taught me leadership because I learned to lead with the executive team. I had a company of about 250 employees. I know not all your listeners have you know, big companies, small companies, but you learn to lead through your people, through the people that you, you brought along with you with the journey. And, yeah. and that was the big lesson for me. When you were replaced, obviously that was, you know, you, in hindsight, you realize it was the best thing. Ego bruised. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. And you, I, I realized, and I write about this in my book as well. A lot of entrepreneurs are ego driven and ego driven is not egotistical. I'm sure you can be egotistical as well. Just ego driven just means that you're attached to the outcome. You're attached to the judgments of other people. Really uh, that really, that's all that it is, is, is a judgment and you're, you're constantly trying to control all the judgments, you know, from your investors, from your employees, you know, you're not going to be liked by all your employees. It's, you know, it's just like the president of the United States. I don't care what your political affiliation is, but 50% of the United States is just not going to like you. You know, it doesn't (laughs) matter who you are, what you are. Maybe you can sway that to 55%. And if you're not really like maybe 45 or 40%, but the same thing as being a CEO or being a leader, not everybody's going to like every decision you make. And sometimes that's really hard, especially if you're, if you're a people pleaser, like I was, Uh, It it became very, very challenging. So learning to not repress my own ego, but manage my own ego. And I I write in the book about ego triggers. So I, you know, I kind of outline what are ego triggers and what do you have to be aware of? But essentially a judgment, which is what triggers the ego is a judgment about yourself. I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm I'm too thin. I'm too fat. I'm too tall. I'm too skinny. I'm too this, I'm too that. Uh, Or a judgment about somebody else. When you render an opinion about yourself or somebody else, is when you know you're coming from ego. So if you can control that in business, you can go a lot farther. I watched so many mistakes from the, 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 the we brought in two CEOs over the course of that four years, and they were both extremely ego-driven, destroyed the company. It was basically almost worthless, and I had to come back and rebuild it, and we had a very good exit because we had very good bones to the company. But yeah. bottom line is the ego, their ego, their big egos, destroyed the company that I had built and all the wonderful employees and customers that we had who loved us. But these guys came in and they just, it was just, it was, you know, I went from coddling the company, which was probably not good and making sure everybody was okay. And customer, everybody, you know, hand, uh, you know, I had my hand on the beat of everything to a CEO coming in saying, you know what, you know, old days are over. You don't like it, get out. And oh. it's a you know it's new day yeah. here, and I'm yeah. in control, and don't even think about it. And then he's, of course, he was completely inept as well. So it just it, <laughs> it, 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 the company spiraled down in 18 months to be almost worthless. So two things there. What I hear is that you were, and this was years ago, but you were a very empathetic leader, which yes. is something that we you know, a lot of social media, a lot of articles are written about being more empathetic, being more compassionate, being, you know, that leader who really cares about their teams and and bringing them along as opposed to do as I say, which sounds right. like your previous CEOs that you had encountered. You, you just described the two of us perfectly. And also, do you think that that stoic, emotionless behavior belongs 
in that le- in leadership? So yes, to a degree. Sure, there are downsides and upsides to both, right? You, yeah. you may not get as much on the business results side when you're more of an empathetic leader and you're trying to you know, uh, uh, garner consensus. You can garner consensus too much. You can over garner consensus or you can, because then you can't get to a decision. So what right. I was always taught was garner the consent or, or, or take all the feedback. And this is how I ran the company in the later years. Take all the feedback and then make the decision and then be done with it. So yeah. it is the decision, but listen to everybody, which you know might take a little bit more time, but you can still get to the decision. Getting consensus from everybody, that may never happen. And so you have to be, you can be caring and empathetic, but still have to run a business and say, you know what? I appreciate your opinion, but I'm going a different direction. Yeah. And by the way, you do that with your investors. You can do that with your investors. You can do that with your employees and you can do it with your customers. You see, the empathetic leader is the leader to all not just to your employees. I want to make sure. I When I came back as CEO, I basically said, you know what, guys, we're going to, and everybody in the, in the everybody that was associated with the company at all, I said, we're going to run these uh, this company for the next two years with five key initiatives. We're going to establish the key initiatives ourselves. Now we're going to have five major themes. And then underneath that, we would have objectives. And our company was big enough where we could handle five. Sometimes I recommend one or two if you're a smaller company. And I said, if anything else comes up other than what's under these five things, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to manage to it. And I told my investors that who could have fired me. But I said, you know what? Do not come to a board meeting and start talking about something that doesn't mean anything except what we've agreed to on these five initiatives. And I held everybody accountable. And then after the first year, I revised the initiatives to be your two initiatives as well. And I held everybody accountable. Every executive meeting was run that way. And I ran, I ran the executives as opposed to running the employees. In other words, I managed through the executives to the employees or through the directors or through the managers. We did have a hierarchy at our company. Uh, we were flat, but not that flat. Um, you know. And what I was, as an empathetic entrepreneur uh, in my early days, I managed everything, every employee. I would go directly up to people and give them different directions and just create chaos. I was uh, great at creating chaos, uh, <laughs> but I learned to manage through my executive team. So that, along with the five key initiatives, um, my customers even knew my five key initiatives. They all knew it. Don't ask me for something if it's not on the five key initiative. I know you're a customer. We're going to stick to the five key initiatives. And if you keep us on track, we'll have success. We right. quadrupled the value of the company in two years. We made our customers much happier because we moved to uh, what we call AWS, which was a big server farm as opposed to hosting our own servers. Their websites didn't go down anymore. They made more money. They were much happier. They just needed to listen to the, and that's what leadership is. It's yeah. not just leading your employees. Yeah. A lot of trust there. A lot of trust. Yes. And that took a while, a long while to build up as well, because, yeah. uh, you know, I, I had worked with every customer and every uh, investor and every employee over many years mm. uh, so that when I came back as the CEO, I didn't have anything to lose at that time, which was actually really refreshing. Yeah. Because you have investors, investors can do things to you, like replace you or uh, dilute you or do other things. So yeah. I was always fearful of that. And fear got the betterment of me. And then I started listening to them way too much, the investors. Uh, and ultimately, that was my demise, at least part of my demise, I guess. <laughs> and when I didn't care as much about what everybody thought, and I set my ego aside, but I was very empathetic. I still love my employees, love my customers. They knew it. They knew by dealing with me, that was it. So would I do it all over again? I would absolutely continue to be an empathetic leader. Um, I think it's much, much more effective. People work with people that care about them. I cared yeah. about my customer success. I cared about my employee success. I cared about my investor success. They knew that through all my dialogue with them. That's why they stuck with me. Most of our employees, the average employee in Silicon Valley 
last nine months. Our average employee was like 10 years. So it was just a stark contrast to the, to the length of time our employees lasted. We had employees that were there 20 years. The company was only in existence for 21 years uh, by the time I sold it. We had employees that were literally there for 20 years. So that was a real big reward for me. Something to something to be uh, uh, learned there for sure. So let's move into your book. Um, first, I want to uh, talk to you about, um, I think when we first met, you mentioned the journey and how long it took to write this book? <laughs> yes. I wrote the book on airplanes only because I flew a lot. Uh, and <laughs> I'm I'm a little ADD and hyperactive if your audience hasn't already realized no. that. I'm so shocking. <laughs> shocking. Shocking. <laughs> only place I could really settle my brain and get into the groove was I did all my research. I read all my books. Uh, and then I ultimately uh, did every, every word was written on an airplane. Yeah. Wow. And so the book is called Prosper. Yeah, Prosper, Five Steps to Thriving in Business and in Life. So let's talk about, there's five pillars in that book. Accept yourself, manage your ego, get clear, take action, and give gratitude. Before we go into any of those, let me ask you, is there one that stands out that you remember that you wrote during one specific trip on one specific airline on one specific <laughs> well, road? It was, written, it was written over the course of 10 years on and off, you know, just like any, a lot of writers, they sit down, uh, uh, they, you know, they put the book down for a year and then they start and they get inspired and then they want to write again and so on and so forth. So it did take a while to write. You know, I, I love them all like my individual babies, uh, but I would say, you know, uh, goodness gracious. I would say managing ego for me resonated with me the most because I had an issue with judgments and judgments of myself and judgments of others. Now I really don't care. <laughs> but 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 as I was writing it, it was my own therapeutic uh, uh, endeavor, which a lot of writers will tell you that's actually one of the reasons they write a book. It's really for them. And I always said, you know, if one person reads, you know, one chapter and they get one thing out of it, then it will have all been worth it. And it was, that's all I care. But I, I, one person got one thing out of it. I'm good. <laughs> Everybody else is a bonus on top of that. Right. That, and that's uh, so pretty well, awesome. Well, worth it. Well, worth it for sure. One of the things I, uh, about around giving gratitude, I know it's kind of a touchy feely book and we're, we're talking to entrepreneurs and leaders, but you know, I think there, there is a place for, you've got to be right in your own mind to be a really good leader. In other words, if you've got some of the challenges that I talk about in the book and they permeate your life and your business, they even come out more, they're exacerbated in the business because you're under pressure, you're in a different environment, you're not necessarily at home with family or friends, you're now uh, with people that will challenge you a lot more in some cases. Investors won't take any of your BS. If you're an egotistical leader, an ego-driven leader, excuse me, not egotistical, ego-driven leader, they'll just bounce you. You're gone, done. We don't care. Your family doesn't necessarily get away with get get, get rid of you as fast. So there no family, dynamics. you can't refund. Yeah, you can't refund, but uh, you, know, <laughs> you can't fire. <laughs> right, and then you have customers. If you don't, if, as an entrepreneur, if you don't think you have a boss, you're wrong. Right, right. You have a different boss, um, and and your boss, in as much as you is all your customers, all your employees, uh, as anybody else. So the employees, I said, I work for the employees. I know it sounds cliche, but I work for the I work for them. They don't work for me. And so it's, you know, it's, it's beliefs and philosophies like that, because they were the ones that were creating my uh, ultimate uh, success in the business and financial future and all of that. And also you had to reward them. Every employee had stock options. Every employee, we made multiple millionaires when we sold the company, which was very rewarding. I mean, many, not many, I don't want to say many, but we made a good number of millionaires that, that you know, in selling the company, which was great. Uh, that was rewarding. But the, the chapter that kind of stuck out was lacking in the world. 
was uh, gratitude. Uh, mm. Gratitude is the pathway to happiness. So really, um, and the chapter that I enjoyed writing the most is not one of the pillars, but the end, which is practicing joy, happiness, and fulfillment. The last chapter, chapter 26. And the reason why I say that is that we have to practice happiness, joy, and fulfillment each and every day. And what I do in that chapter is really just share with the uh, the, the reader um, what I do uh, and some of the techniques that I use. Journaling is a really important thing for I me. I was just going to ask you if you journal because I started I love three years journaling. Ago, two years ago, and it's just been so great. Oh my goodness! It, you know, I it, it's funny. I have a box of my journals. They're always the same moleskin, uh, black college ruled. <laughs> I have, I'm a little OCD as it relates to that specifically. Now, I, I will tell you, Amazon has done a knockoff, and they're half the price. So now I buy the Amazon version, but they're identical. Uh, two things that it does: one is it obviously is the greatest therapy in the world because I do it mainly on planes. I still fly a lot, so I will always pull out my journal. As the plane is taxing, I also work on planes typically before I start working and, you know, kind of settling in. I will sometimes I journal for five minutes and sometimes I journal for two hours, but rarely the two hours, but I, sometimes I will. Sometimes I'll write a page. Sometimes I'll be inspired maybe at the beginning of the year when I really want to get things out uh, and I'll write 20 or 30 pages in my journal. Again, that's uh, more rare the case. And I got to tell you, it is the number one thing because it's where I get to work things out in my private. Nobody's ever going to read it. Nobody ever cares to read it. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and I probably never will read it again. And by the way, when you're journaling, I just find I write things over and over and over again. The things I'm working on appear in my journal in different ways. Yeah. I'm basically saying the same thing, right? Because I'm still working on them, right? Yeah. And then there are other things that I'm like, good, I've moved past this. This is great. Yeah. So it's, it's, and it's also a place to give gratitude. I don't think we give enough gratitude. See, here's the deal about gratitude. I know this is a little touchy feely and a lot of my book is not as touchy feely as the fifth chapter, trust me, around gratitude, but it is impossible when you're being grateful to actually not be happy at this. You can't, it's not an emotion. You're in, you would otherwise be in dramatic conflict. So um, practicing gratitude every day is part of practicing happiness, fulfillment, and, yeah. uh, and and really feeling that joy that uh, comes to your life. When you're a joyful person and you're coming at your business with the right mentality, I'll say with a more healthy mentality than maybe in my 20s when I, I won't speak to anybody else in their 20s, when I was a little more reckless, it was all about me. It was about my ego. It was about success. It was about what was drilled into my head from my parents and society that I had to do well, my college, uh, you know, whatever it was. And it was all false, right? You know, and, and striving for money. It was all about money uh, yeah. or, you know, that was a definite, it was kind of all about money. I'll, I'll suggest that maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but that's where a lot of the emotions came in. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't build a business and be proud to sell it for a lot of money or make a lot of money in the process. Absolutely. But also the good that you're doing. So today, what gives me, what what what, what my new businesses are, uh, the, the two businesses that I have now are purpose-driven businesses as well. We tackle the 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 aspect and I I did an interview about six months ago nine months ago with a gentleman called Kudabita. Kudabita it was a purpose driven entrepreneur. That means that he built a business and layered on top of it this ability to give back. And I said from that point on, whatever I do, I will build a component into any business that I do that that gives back, either feeds young kids, uh, 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 meals, you know, and that's one of his tracks, right? I, he's like, I fed a million kids over the last 10 years based on some of the things that I've done in my business. So integrating something in your business that is beyond just, you know, the bits and bytes of a software company or, uh, or a product that you put on a shelf or, you know, in, in Whole Foods or something, 
is how do you extend? Now, you don't have to go all the way like Bombas and some other companies have done, which are amazing. They've yeah. really taken it to a different extent. I didn't realize after talking to Kuda Bita, and this is kind of my new mission for myself personally, is that it, it can be easy. Take 10% of profits, but then have, but then integrate it into everything you do. Integrate it with your employees, integrate it with yourself, integrate it with your investors. So everybody knows this is what we're doing. I just found that very inspiring. Um, yeah. And I wanted to share that, even though, you know, it's not in my book. I just discovered this. No, that's and pretty now awesome. I'm saying, how do I take my new business, which we're launching uh, the product for November 1? Uh, called, it's a business called Microcasting for e-learning. And how is it going to be purpose-driven? And I'm talking to the, my team right now about what are we going to do? We have a pretty good idea. November 1st, it's launching. Yes. Well, November 1st, my business called Microcasting, which is an e-learning software product. Uh, that allows uh, people to be able to bring e-learning in kind of a new and different way uh, okay. to the world in a very uh, modernized way um, that that people can bring e-learning to their constituents, to their to their customers, or what have you. It's really not employee-based e-learning. It's customer, prospect, uh, thought leaders, coaches, other people that can really deliver this in a, in a very effective manner and done in the right way that people will consume it. I've spent five years learning about e-learning, <laughs> building my own <laughs> e-learning content company, and learning all the best practices, looking at all the research. And then now we packaged all that into our product. Awesome. So that you you don't stay idle very long, I see. Um, so aside from this, you mentioned two startups. What else is in the cards for you for the, for what is, what's cooking up for you now, other than that one? I will tell you my my dream about kind of giving back, and I do a lot of volunteer work and other types of things, and it's all well and good in terms of coaching and working with entrepreneurs. But um, I'd like to just step it up a bit and 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 uh, uh, be, do more speaking, uh, more podcasting, more getting out there a little bit more to be able to share more of the ideas. And we didn't talk a lot today. We talked about leadership, which I love talking about. This has been so amazing. Um, but talking about the fundamentals of running a business, the formula for success or the entrepreneurial mindset. And there's so many topics and things that, you know, how do you raise money? Yeah. Should you raise money? How do you think? I have about 200 isms, if you will. They're, they're not <laughs> isms, they're sayings. Uh, and, and each one has a business principle behind it. So I'd like to write another book and I'd like to get uh, out there a little bit more, a little bit more, if you will, visibility while I'm building these business, other businesses, because I think a practicing entrepreneur can share so much more with uh, entrepreneurs than somebody that, you know, oh, yeah, I did it 20 years ago or did it 10 years ago, or yes. all I do is kind of speak or teach. And it's like, that's all good. Those are all real good, but I want to be living it and then teaching it at right, the same right. time. That's kind here's, of what's next for me. Yeah. Here's what I've learned. I found that even when I was in, um, as an employee, as soon as I learned something new, and learned how to figure it out. I couldn't wait to share it with somebody yes. else, you know. Yes. And then you and then you go through it together. And then the other person, what's really exciting is when the other person says, oh, "Look what I found out about it." And then they share it back with you. So it's like they own it. Take. Well, they because it becomes yeah. them, and they're like, "Look what I did." Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like, "Yeah, well, I helped you do that, but you never need to say that because you're right." The, the presence of uh, you know what you gave out to the universe to the world. Uh, comes back to you uh, in them being able then to spread it to five other people, 10 other people. And we know that that's part of what education uh, does. And so I'm a big believer in that. I very much believe that that an entrepreneur also needs to be a thought leader and a thought leader because they're already experts in whatever they do. That's why they're entrepreneurs. That's why they got into what they got into. So how can they take that and deliver that, not just paying it forward, but also it establishes a platform for them and their company to people want to buy from experts. 
So right. people, so when you're giving this back to your customers and, and today it's not good enough just to sell a product or a service. You need to be a solutions company. A solutions company bundles a solution together that's your product, potentially other people's products that you partner up with that are complementary and the secret ingredient, the intelligence on top of it. That's education, yeah. that's knowledge, that's solutioning. And then you right. bring it all together and you present it to a customer. You want to build a successful business? That's the equation for building a successful business. One of them. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, Ken, this has been totally awesome today. I love talking to you about leadership. Um, we will definitely make sure that the uh, in the speaker notes that we have your book um, and make sure that we have everything that's any links that we have that we can follow you and find out what's new, where you're going to be speaking next. Any, any ideas yet? Yeah, no, well, we we're just starting to kind of rev up the engine a little bit. So I don't have, I'm doing just podcasting right now, but I will I will say that I, I do have a, quite a lot of free resources at entrepreneurnow.com. It's a site dedicated to entrepreneurs called the Entrepreneur Now Network. So I okay. thought I would just throw it out. There's tons of free resources, videos. Uh, we'll walk you through whether you need investing or what have you. And so I do recommend uh, checking that out. Of course, okay. tenberk.com, you can get the book on as well. We'll make sure that those are in the show notes as well. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing your insight and your enthusiasm and your energy. <laughs> oh, thank you, Michelle. This has been great. I love the topic that we're talking about today. So thank you for allowing uh, allowing us to have this dialogue. Yes, absolutely. Well, be well and thanks again. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with a brand new episode of the Heart Inspired Podcast. Until then, I'm your host, Michelle Delgado. And don't forget to lean in, be heard, be inspired. This podcast was created by Heartmetrics Consulting, editing and co-produced by David Castle Productions, and co-distributed by Business Travel 360. For more information about Heartmetrics Consulting, visit us at heartmetrics.com. Heartmetrics.com.